0: Jesus refers to God as Father over 150 times in the New Testament. If you can, please open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as John shares his message, Knowing God as Father.
1: You know, for somebody like me, and, and maybe you're in this boat, I grew up in a home with a, with a father, a, a very present father, a very active father. He provided for us and took care of our family, loved, loved my mom and still does, and you know, so I grew up in a home like that, and so for me, when I read in my Bible that God is my father, it's not hard for me to relate to that because I had a good father growing up, and so I read about God being my father. That's pretty easy, but I realize that some here today probably didn't grow up like that, and maybe instead of your father being present, your father was absent. Maybe instead of providing for you, your, your father really did not do that you know, maybe he wasn't at your ball games and your concerts and your recitals and all those things. He just wasn't there. And so, you know, you're coming to church today, and I'm preaching a sermon called Knowing God is Father. And if you didn't have a great father growing up, you're thinking, man, this is hard for me to get my arms around because I, I can't really relate to that. Interestingly, one of the pastors who's had the greatest influence on my life, in fact, he'll be 90 years old in September. But when he was nine months of age, his father died. And a few years later, his mom remarried, and the man that she married was probably—it probably was not the best choice that she ever made because he—she mar- he, married a man that was kind of an angry person, a rather mean-spirited person, very strict, very stern, and and so he made life difficult for her and for his stepson. And so this young man grew up in a home like that. Fortunately, his mom's influence was greater on him than. His stepfather, he got saved when he was 12 years of age. He became a pastor, surrendered to the ministry, went to college, graduated from two seminaries, became a what what I think by anybody's standards, even in his 40s and 50s, you would say, This is a successful pastor. God's using him in a great way, but not really known to anybody else. But he kind of hit a place in his life where he was spiritually dry. And he prayed and he just felt like God was a million miles away and the heavens were closed and He didn't know what was wrong, and so he called four of his friends, and he said, look, guys, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me spiritually. I just feel like I'm at the lowest I've ever been, I feel like I'm about the driest I've ever been. The church is probably doing better than it's ever done, but it's not the church, it's me. Something's wrong with me. And so the five men, he and his four friends, arranged to to fly to Colorado. They were all coming from different states. Colorado was centrally located, and they spent four or five days there, and the arrangement was this. The pastor had said this to his friends. Interestingly, his friends weren't pastors. I think one was a counselor, others were businessmen, but they they were friends, men he could trust. And he said, I'm gonna just pour out my heart to you. I'm going to tell you about my childhood. I'm going to tell you about my life up to this point. And I just am trusting you men through the leadership of the Holy Spirit to tell me what's wrong with me. And at the end of our days together, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. I will take whatever you say as though it were coming from God. And so that was the arrangement. And, and they met, and he's pouring out his heart. They're kind of having counseling sessions during the morning. They take a little break, they have it more at night. He would get to his room at night. He would write pages and pages of everything he could remember in his life and trying to figure out what was missing in his life. Well, On about the last day they were there, he was just reading all this stuff to these guys. And one of the men spoke up and said, what I would like for you to do is to fold your arms like this and put them on a table. And then I want you to close your eyes and bow your head and put your head on your hands. And so he did. The pastor said, I'll do whatever y'all tell me to do. He did that. And the man said, what I'd like for you to do is to imagine yourself as a child. Maybe you're three or four or five years old, and imagine that your father did not die, that he was, that he was still living. And, and I want you just to imagine that your father comes along and picks you up and holds you in his arms and squeezes you really tightly. And so the man began to imagine that. This pastor now began to imagine that. And he began to cry and he began to weep and and, and almost uncontrollably for several minutes. And when he finished crying, this man said to him, I want you to tell me, how did you feel when your father picked you up and held you in his arms? And he said, I'll tell you how I felt. He said, I felt loved, I felt safe, I felt known, and I felt accepted. And the pastor said, for him, that was a real turning point in his life because it not only helped him to know how his earthly father would have treated him, how his stepfather should have treated him. It helped him to know that that's how his heavenly father does treat him. And so the men went back to their respected homes. This man went back to his town, to his church, and he said he got all of the sermons he had ever preached and just started going through them one at a time. Over 30 years, Of sermons to see how many sermons he had ever preached on the love of God. Now, here's a pastor. You would think he would have, you know, 50, 60, 70 sermons on the love of God. In all of his ministry, he had only preached one sermon on the love of God. And the reason was, up until this point in his life, he didn't understand the love of God. He was saved. He'd experienced the grace of God. But for all practical purposes, he was not experiencing the love of God in his life. Up until this point, he had viewed God as a judge, as as a disciplinarian, as a strict figure, as somebody he was trying to, you know, kind of measure up and earn his acceptance. But on this day, it all changed. And for the first time in his life, he began to view God as his heavenly father. Now, what I want to say today is this. Some grew up in homes like I did. You had a great father. Not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But you had a father who loved you and who was there for you. Others grew up kind of like this pastor. You say, you know, John, I've kind of missed out on that. And this whole idea of God being my father is something different difficult for me to get my arms around. Well, if you'll open your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I want us to begin there. God is speaking, and notice what God says. I will be a father to you. Notice he didn't say, I will be a judge to you. I'll be a disciplinarian to you. Yes, he's a judge. Yes, he does discipline us. But here he says, I will be a father to you. Let's just say that part together. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And so what I'm saying to you today is if you're saved, You are a son or a daughter of God. He is your heavenly Father. And I want to mention three things today that I think is very easy for all of us to relate to, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to your life. Three things that God does for us as our heavenly Father. The first thing I would say is this. As our Father, God always hears us, and He always wants what's best for us. God is never too busy. You see, if you just view God as a king and this powerful figure, this judge, the the creator of the world, you're going to have the idea that God's got a lot of more important things to deal with than what's going on in your little life. And you're not going to be able to relate to God properly if you don't understand that as your father, he always has time to listen to you and he always wants what's best for you. I read yesterday, uh, Recent poll that came out by the Gallup group that does these studies across America. And for the first time in a well, let me just say it this way the poll revealed that only 81% of Americans currently believe in God. It's the lowest that number has ever been. 50, 60 years ago, 98, 99% of Americans believe in God. As our culture has become more secular, uh, our belief in God has waned, only 81%. Equally as disturbing, Only 42% of Americans believe that God hears and answers our prayers. Only 42%. I thought I read that yesterday, and I thought, here we are as a country in desperate need of a revival, a moving of the Spirit of God. And only 42% of our country even believe that God hears our prayers and that God answers our prayers. What is the problem there? The problem is the majority of our country doesn't view, they either don't believe in God at all, And many who do believe in God have never really come to view him and understand that God is our heavenly Father. Now, we're going to put a lot of verses on the screens today because I want us to to develop this idea about God being our Father. First of all, the Lord's Prayer begins with those words. Jesus said, when you pray, say this, our Father in heaven. Let's say that together. Our Father in heaven. So that when you pray, you're a child, you're going into the presence of who? Of your heavenly Father. Now, what do we know about our Father? Well, the first thing we know is that he made us. And I love how the NIV says this in Psalm 139. The psalmist said, for you created my inmost being. Now, I love this next phrase. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And so, when you were in your mother's womb, you were not known to the world yet, but you were known to God. You were nonetheless a human being at that point. You had existence at that point. God was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And so, the God you're praying to is the God who made you and created you. Now, Jesus said this, the Father himself loves you. Think about it. When you pray to your father, yes, you're praying to the king of the universe, but he's your father. He made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb, and he loves you with all of his heart. And not only that, as we see this next verse, we'll see that God knows what you need. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching about prayer. And he said to those disciples, remember this, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And so God knows exactly what you need. And not only that, it says in Romans chapter 8, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. The New King James says, with groanings that can't be uttered. You know, sometimes in life, we have a problem or a situation that we're going through, and we, we can't even put, put it into words. And, but the Holy Spirit, he doesn't even use words either. But in groanings, he just puts forth to the Father what's in our heart and what we're trying to say. And then the psalmist says this. He's praying to God, and he says, bow down your ear to me. In other words, God, when I pray, I need you to get close, and I need you to hear what I'm saying. And So all those verses today, you put it together, and here's what it says. It says, when you go to pray you're praying to your heavenly Father who made you, who loves you, who knows what you need, and who knows and understands your emotions, your thoughts, your fears, your anxieties, your worries. Sometimes, I mean, we've all had this prayer. Sometimes in life, we can't even articulate to God how we feel. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. You know, back in 2011, I think God gave me a glimpse of what it's like to communicate with the Heavenly Father when we can't use words. If you were in a part of our church back then, you know that in, in 2011, I had to have vocal cord surgery. And for three months, I didn't get to preach at all. I think it was voted the three greatest months in the history of our church because I wasn't able to preach at all. And during that, for much of that time, I couldn't even talk at all. I had to walk around the a little pen and a piece of paper and if I was have asked somebody a question or if they want to talk to me I write I can't talk I just had vocal cord surgery and, and so during that time my dad said to me he said you know John I know you can't talk on the phone and he said when we're in the office together if I have a question you can write out the answer he said but he said you know I don't want you to think this is odd but sometimes in the evenings I'm going to just call you and I know you can't talk back to me, and so I'll just do all the talking, and, and you can just listen. I thought, well, this is not going to be any different than a normal conversation that, that we would have. And so he would call me at night. Maybe I was going home from the store, driving home, and I would, my phone, he said, Dad, I knew it was him, and I answered, and I couldn't say anything. He said, hey, man, I just want to check on you. damn thinking about you. He said, I know you can't talk, and, and uh, I know you can't talk to me, but I can talk to you. And I just got a couple things, some things on my mind. He said, first of all, this surgery you've had, you know, the surgery was successful. Your vocal cords are going to get better. You're going to be able to talk. You're going to be able to preach. Life's going to get back to normal again. And, uh, you know, just, he was encouraging me. And, and then he would talk, and he would say, hey, this Sunday I'm preaching on whatever. And he would say... Uh, you know, let me just kind of walk through this sermon with you. I'm just on the other end. I'm just listening to that. And then when, when he got finished saying whatever he got to say, hey, man, I just want you to know I love you, and I was thinking about you tonight, and, and I'll talk to you later. And he hung up. I, you know, I'm sure when he hung up that phone that my mother might have said to him, who are you talking to? You know, and he said, oh, well, I was talking to John. I'm talking to John? John can't even talk. I mean, what kind of conversation is that? I'm imagining what they might have said to themselves. And I, he might have said, well, you know what? He couldn't talk to me, but I could still talk to him and, and I could still encourage him. And and even though John couldn't talk to me, I know John well enough to know. What he would have said if he could have talked to me, and when I was just walking through my sermon, I know John would have said, "You need an illustration here, you need this there." And he said, "I just when I'm on the phone with him, I know he can't talk back to me, but still, I'm calling just to let him know that I'm still there and I'm still thinking about him." And it was just a reminder to me that those times in our life when we can't even articulate or put into words to God what we're feeling or how we're going through, God is always on the the other end of the line, and God is saying, I understand what you're facing. I know how you're feeling. I know what you're going through, and I'm here just to remind you that even though you can't talk to me, I still know what's in your heart, and I still know what you would say if you knew how to say it. Amen? And so that's the kind of father we have. He's always there to hear us, in our words, and even in our unspoken words, and he always wants what's best for us. Now, the next idea that I want to mention, we think about our Father. I think this is something we don't mention or think about very often, but it's so important. As our Father, God understands our nature, and God understands our weaknesses. You know, in, in this pulpit, and in every pulpit that lifts up Jesus and preaches the Bible, we always preach holiness and do what's right, and don't sin. And we always remind each other that in our friendships, you know, we need to have some boundaries and safeguards in our life so that hopefully we won't drift off into sexual sin or or, or that we won't do something dishonest or that we won't hurt somebody in some way or be rude or anything like that. And so the message from the Bible and the message from the pulpit is always try to be holy, pursue holiness, live right, do right. And that is the standard of God. God is a holy God. God has a high standard. In fact, God's standard is perfection. The problem is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed to measure up to that standard. One of the things I love about the Bible is the wonderful balance. On the one hand, the Bible is saying pursue holiness. Do what's right. Don't sin. Stay away from sin. But notice that's, that's the righteousness, holiness, and, and godliness of, of God himself. But there's another Part of God, He's our Father. And even though He expects us to always do right and wants us to never sin, He knows we're not perfect. Now, let's look at this Psalm 103. As far as the East is from the West, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. If that makes you happy, say amen. To think that all of our sins have been removed from us. But let's keep reading. As a father pities his children, So the Lord pities, literally, has compassion on those who fear him. Now look at this 14th verse of Psalm 103. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And so when we sin, and we don't want to sin, we never want to sin, but when we sin and we feel badly and and we just almost sometimes beat ourselves up over this, remember this, many times when we sin, we are much harder on ourselves than God is on us because God is our Father. And God understands that even though the standard is perfection, the only person who is measured up to that is Jesus Christ himself. The rest of us, have, we have the sin nature. Jesus was not born with the sin nature. That's the significance of the virgin birth. He did not inherit the sin nature. He had the nature of God, and so that's why he never sinned, but we do have a sin nature, but the scripture says that's okay. Our Father, he knows our nature, and he remembers our weaknesses. He knows that we are dust, and and so when we sin, God understands that. And he doesn't condone it or say no big deal, but he says, I know you're not perfect, and I know you haven't arrived yet. Now, i tell you something else about our Father. As our Father, God holds us closely, and God carries us through every season of life. Think about that. He holds us closely. And he carries us through every season of life. That's what that pastor was experiencing when he imagined his father just scooping him up and taking him in his arms. He was imagining his father holding him. Well, that's what God does for us. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy. One of the great verses in the Old Testament. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. A hymn was written out of that verse. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. So God holds us in his arms. And not only does God hold us, God carries us through every season of life. Look at this passage here in Isaiah 46. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been upheld by me from birth who have been carried from the womb. Now before we read the next verse, I want you to think about that. From the time you were born, God through your childhood, through your teenage years, through your young adult life, God has been doing, he's been carrying you. He's been leading you through every season of life. Now look in verse 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. God has made us a promise that just as he has carried us from the time we were born through everything we've been through in life god's carried us that god will carry us all the way to end even to gray hairs what was god saying even till the time you get old and die i'm going to carry you and when you die i'm going to usher you into my presence in heaven i'm going to carry you you know i think many of us in life have a fear it's just natural and the devil capitalizes on this at low points in our lives i think we just all have a fear of something happening out there and us just being abandoned, like God just dropping us off and we're on our own. I think sometimes we have that fear. I know years ago I was visiting a nursing home, I'm going to see one of our members, and I was just walking down the hall not thinking about anything except what room number this person was in. And, and all of a sudden I just had this crazy thought come through my mind. And, and I don't know if it was from me or the devil. It was probably from the devil, and then I meditated on it. But the thought came to my mind, what's going to happen to you if you end up in a nursing home? I just had that thought run through my mind. I this thought, you don't have any kids. That means you won't have any grandkids. Who's, when you get old, who's going to come visit you in the nursing home? And I got thinking about that, and I thought, man, that's kind of that's scary. Who is, so I want all of you to come visit me if I get to put in a nursing home, okay? Hope I don't get in there, but if I do, I need somebody to visit. But I, got, I was just walking down the hall. I thought, man, that would be awful. And then this verse came to my mind, Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And even to gray hairs, I will carry you. And it's like God spoke to me and said, John, if you should end up in one of these facilities, you don't need to worry about who might or who might not visit you. The important thing is not who visits you. The important thing is that I would be in the room with you and I will stay with you all the way to the end. That's what God spoke to my heart. And so even to our old age, God is he and he carries us and he's right there with us. You know. Again, I get back to my father, and I think I grew up in a, in, a, in a home where my father was present. You know, the scripture says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I think about this promise God said, hey, from the time you were born, John, from the time you came, were formed in your mother's womb and then came onto the scene, from then I've been carrying you. And I'm going to carry you all the way to the end. If you end up in a nursing home, I'm going to carry you through that. When it comes time for you to die, I'm going to carry you to heaven. You will never, ever be alone. I'm never going to drop you. I'm never going to leave you. You're not at the mercy of somebody else who you hope might be there. I will be there, and I'm going to take care of you. And so that verse is is so comforting to me. You know, when I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about God being a very present help in trouble. And then I'm thinking about, you know... Parents should be that for their kids. And and here's how I was going to end the sermon today. I was going to end the sermon today by making this statement. The greatest thing that a parent can do for their child is to be there for them. That's a good statement. I mean, right? I mean, that's, that's really true. The greatest thing that a parent can do for their child is to be there for them. But the more I thought about that statement, I mean, while it is super important that parents be there for them. Now, remember, I'm not saying this as a parent. I'm saying this as a child, reflecting on what it was like when I was coming up. But I don't think that's the greatest thing a parent can do for their child. I don't think the greatest thing a parent can do for their child is to be there for them. As important as that is, but there's something even more important. I want you to see this. The greatest thing parents can teach their children is to depend on God more than they depend on them. That's the greatest thing a parent can do for their child. Because if the parent is saying to the child, I'll always be there for you. You can always depend on me. Well, certainly when a child's young, the, uh, they need to hear that. For but when, when you get older, teenage years and in college and, and beyond that even, at some point, either verbally or non-verbally, the parent has to help the child to understand the greatest thing is not that I'm always going to be there for you because I probably won't. The greatest thing is to depend on God even more than you depend on me.
0: Are you depending upon God as your Father? You can when you turn to His Son, Jesus, to save you. Would you like to turn your life over to Him? will not you pray with me now? Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that You love me and that You died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask You to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask You to save me, and I trust You to do it. Please make me the person You created me to be. In Your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, please let us know by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.